Welcome to Backroom Talk. Uh, we're going to be getting into some chit chat about metabolic conditioning today, but before that, just wanted to chat about a study I uh, pulled up earlier in the week. The the concept of of someone being stronger and their self-perceived formidability increasing just makes a lot of sense. Circuits are really nice because of the constraint of time. Mm-hmm. Like you know how much that 50, how much time that 15-minute AMRAP or those five-minute intervals are going to take your client to complete. And they know too. This is what I think CrossFit brought to the game, right? And why so many people fell in love with CrossFit because they they started doing these types of uh, aerobic pieces, these circuit aerobic pieces, and they were like, it's fucking fun. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. Well, guys, welcome to another episode of Backroom Talk. Uh, Carl, as always, make sure you subscribe. Not you, Carl, but the audience. I'm subs- uh, Am I subscribed? I hope you subscribe. Yeah, I think I'm subscribed. I'm guys, subscribed. please, uh, please subscribe on audio and on YouTube, and make sure you leave us a comment or review. We do appreciate that stuff. Uh, we're going to be getting into some chit chat about metabolic conditioning today, but before that, just wanted to chat about a study I uh, pulled up earlier in the week. I share it with you? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds good? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to give it like a very, very brief synopsis. We will share a link to it in the uh, show notes, guys, so you can go ahead and read it there if you like. But basically what this study found, it was looking at anxiety in men and women. And typically, anxiety is higher in women than it is in men. Now, they looked at um, characteristics of physical strength tested by grip strength and then self-perceived formidability and found that there was a mediating effect between uh, gender differences or sex differences in anxiety levels and the physical strength and uh, self-perception of formidability. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I think, so I read through it and it, it seemed like the anxiety was attached to neuroticism right they were like you know who's neurotic and who's not um and some things that were interesting in there it's like uh women are more likely to score higher on the neuroticism scale than men uh we don't know why right it's like is it uh you know role-based is it um experience is it like we don't we don't know why but that was something that's that's been proven to be you know the case time and time again so yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Um, it might be beneficial to, to tell people what formidability means, though, because there's probably some people that don't understand that. Yeah, I, I think, and I don't remember exactly how they defined it, but it's someone's perception of their ability to defend themselves and their, their perception of their ability to, like, wield force and be safe over others, correct? Yeah, so formidable just means tough. Like, how tough can you make something? So, like, an object can be very formidable if you throw it on the ground and it doesn't break. And then a human can be formidable if they feel like they can handle themselves in, like, tough situations. And sometimes, like, exercise can make you more formidable or experiences can make you more formidable. So, yeah, formidability is just the ability to be tough, let's just call it. So... Yeah, I mean, the the concept of of someone being stronger um, and their self-perceived formidability increasing just makes a lot of sense, right? So it's like, you know, it, 
if if I if I go out into the gym and I can do like these awesome feats of strength, I'm probably going to feel a little bit better about myself. So therefore, I would feel more my my self-perceived formidability will be higher and my anxiety will likely be lower because I feel like I can defend myself in a room with a hundred people. And I'm like, Hmm, I'm probably at the, uh, the uh, higher end of the, the totem pole physically and toughness wise with these hundred people. So my anxiety levels in those situations will most likely be lower. Um, and the way that they're, they're gauging strength is, um, uh, grip, grip strength. strength, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So grip strength has, uh, over and over been, uh, associated with higher levels of upper body strength. So, you know, if someone has higher levels of upper body strength, they probably understand that. They're probably less anxious. They probably, you know, see themselves as, as a, you know, uh, higher on that totem pole in, in that room of 100 people in terms of toughness and being able to defend themselves. So I just think it makes sense that anxiety is lower. Yeah, it definitely does. Like the connection between those three pieces, physical strength, perception of like you know your own formidability and then anxiety levels resulting it's very easy to see how those three kind of flow into one another and it's also just interesting to think about like from an evolutionary perspective right uh typically when women um and today and and always women are smaller weaker less aggressive than men not all women um there's certainly differences i don't don't think that that's just george (laughs) no no from but if we're just looking at like you know all men and all women the women are going to be less strong and weaker than than the men and from yeah from the perspective of being able to uh you know control one's own body and feel safe and protect someone protect yourself from attack um to be in a position of power you know if you are if you're weaker you're not going to be able to do those things and it makes sense that you need to be more anxious and more ready for threat and uh like you know being ready to like take off versus stand up and fight if you find yourself in a threatening situation yeah i mean n equals two where would you where would you let's start with you um, where would you put yourself on that uh, neurotic scale? Like, would you be like one to ten? Like, where are you at on the ne- neurotic scale? I'm probably a seven. Like, I'm I'm fairly anxious. Um, like, definitely have anxious traits, and I'm a fairly neurotic person. But I have watched changes in myself over the last you know ten or so years as I've gotten stronger and had physical training be a part of my life. And I feel like that you've gone down down on that scale yeah. as you're. <laughs> Your, your physical strength has increased? Yeah, definitely. And it's very easy for me to sit here and say that now in retrospect. But I remember there's kind of like two big shifts that have happened for me on a personal level. First was like finding weight training and beginning to lift weights in a, you know, in a globo gym and then in CrossFit and noticing my anxiousness and just, you know, general well-being and, and feelings of, uh, you know, stress outside of the gym reduce. And then second wave of that happening was really introducing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and learning some self-defense and just feeling like a little bit more capable whether or not like <laughs> in reality I could actually you know protect myself in a fight and obviously there's so much more to it than you know being able to roll effectively with someone or if someone's carrying a gun or a knife like doesn't necessarily mean that I'd be in a better position but my self-perceived formidability is definitely higher than it used to be and i have felt anxiety in in situations go down because of that got it yeah i think uh because when we talked about this study on i think it was on monday 
um, I thought about it after and I'm like, hmm, like, has, is there any connections with me personally with strength training and anxiousness going down or uh, neuroticism going down? And I, I don't, I didn't connect anything with that. I, but I, when I, when I first thought about like, uh, you know, formidability and being confident in yourself and like your strengths and, and being able to defend yourself, I actually went back to like seventh grade. Uh, when I first thought about that and just like context, I went to a very, very, uh, not so good middle school. So there was like always, um, there were like race wars in our middle school. It was like, you know, the, the Hispanics were over here, the blacks were over here, uh, the whites were over here. And it was just like, like this all the time. Sounds like a prison, (laughs) prison, like it kind of was. Yeah. Fucking Washington middle school. Not the greatest place. Uh, hopefully it's better now, though. Uh, but no, I remember, you know, being in seventh, eighth grade and like there was always like that idea of like uh, or there was always that thing in the back of our heads of like, are we going to get into a fight today? Like, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And I found myself like beginning of seventh grade. I was a fairly anxious kid. I was like I was unsure, uncertain. It's like, man, what's what's going to happen if, you know, this happens, that happens. And then I like gained this confidence through like. <laughs> actually fighting people and like doing okay and like okay it's like okay I can defend myself and my anxious anxiousness went down dramatically like overnight when I felt like okay if if I got into this situation again I'm completely confident that I can defend myself um and there there's nothing connected to like strength or anything like that but it was self-perceived uh formidability where it's like i felt like i could like i was tough enough to like defend myself in situations where harm could possibly come to me and i know that's that has nothing to do with strength training that has nothing to do with working out or anything like that um but that's the first thing that came to mind so it makes sense right like the the more confident you are in your self-perceived formidability the less anxious you're going to be in physical altercations and we're not even getting into you know, the, the mental and emotional side of feeling very anxious and stuff like that. But this study didn't really go into that that much. It was like uh, anxiety and physical strength and the connections of the two. And I do think there's a, even with, without looking at it, and I told you this on Monday, I was like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like um, someone feeling like they can protect themselves and anxiety going down in, in situations. Yeah, definitely. It, it does just make sense to us um and we can say that you know as people who've been in gyms and watched many many people go through that evolution where they build physical strength they are actually literally getting stronger but they're also feeling better about themselves and more capable and that's just like one of the things i love about fitness and working in fitness is seeing people go through that and again it's not just the like my biceps are bigger and i can squat more but it's actually that perception of themselves feeling stronger, feeling more capable, feeling like they can go out and do what they want. And then also seeing, you know, mental health benefits, anxiety levels, things like that begin to level out or improve um, as a result of that. I just, I just love that stuff. Yeah. I think sometimes we, and I I know we don't want to extend this too far, but sometimes we say like, when we start laying out, like, what are the benefits of uh, resistance training? It's like, we, we blanket it with confidence a lot. And if you were to like really dig into what is confidence, this falls inside of confidence, right? So um, there are some great benefits of it. And, and we're not saying like you should go out and train and get strong so you can fight people and beat them up. But <laughs> Unless you like that kind of thing, I sure do. <laughs> but um, yeah, just, just uh, having the confidence that you can defend yourself 
in uh, in those situations is very beneficial to decreasing anxiety. Definitely. No one wants to feel like they're the weakest one in a room. No, no, I uh, I would agree. And it's, you know, in our daily lives, for most of us, is it that important for us to be physically strong and able to defend ourselves? No. I would say yes. I would like, say yes. In your day-to-day, yes. in yeah, 99 yeah. out of 100 days? Because you never know what can happen, You do right? never know. Story, really quick. Yeah. We're at the Great Wolf Lodge. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sunday uh-huh. for Colton's birthday party, yep. and another dad was there of the kids, one of his friends, and there was like a a scuffle between like the ten year olds and like the fourteen year olds because the ten year olds cut the fourteen year olds in line, and these are like some pretty big, some pretty big like fourteen year old kids, and the dad just says like nonchalantly like, "Oh man, I hope I hope he doesn't go and get their dads," and I'm like. I don't give a shit if they go get their dads. Like I'm not afraid of these 14 year olds' dads. I haven't, I haven't seen the their, yeah, I haven't seen their dads. But no, that's a good point. Like he probably had a small level of anxiety because he's like, I hope they don't get go get their dad. So there's probably something inside of his brain where he's like, I probably am not going to be able to defend myself, yeah. right? Well, and, that, that survival instinct is in us, right? Uh, like, yeah. Whether or not our reality is that we have to be able to do that, we do still feel that um, just from, again, an evolutionary biological perspective. Like that's inside us as humans. Yeah, or think about you. Like, you know, you live like in a condo complex and it's like, let's say you got home at like 9 p.m. and you weren't with Jacob and you're like locking up your car. Like there would probably be a, a level of anxiety if you didn't feel like you could defend yourself at all from you walking from like your carport to your front door um, if you didn't feel like you can defend yourself, right? Like now you're probably like, yeah, whatever. Like I'll just jujitsu the shit out of somebody if they try to grab me, right? But like th- I think that is important on a day-to-day because uh, I do think people think about uh, – like there's a, there's some fear that just kind of lives in people because they're thinking about like what could happen. You know what I mean? So I do think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh! Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was such a good. Con- this is a good conversation too. Yeah, let's, let's hit. Let's hit it some is. metabolic this conditioning. This is our bread and butter right here. <laughs> so, um, let's let's define metabolic conditioning before we get into the conversation, because I feel like this word is like thrown around like crazy. People talk about metcons, people talk about metabolic conditioning, but what are they actually talking about when they so th- say those two words? And I think there's a lot of stuff going on, and people mean different things by it. So, can we just talk through like metabolic and conditioning? Yeah. And what those two words mean. Yeah. I mean, I would never use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know the definition of metabolic conditioning. Yeah. I think we use it sometimes because other people have like a perception of what it is. Like people think like I'm breathing hard, I'm sweating, I'm working, things like that. But when I think about like the, the two words independently, conditioning your metabolic system, I think of just like moving and exercising. So like a, a back squat is metabolic conditioning technically. Um, you know, a 30 minute AMRAP is metabolic conditioning. Technically walking around the block is metabolic conditioning technically. So I think it's just like, um, I think it's a bit of a buzzword and we know that, right? Like Metcon metabolic conditioning, that's a buzzword. Um, but to a lot of people that have like an understanding of what it is, or they think about a specific thing, they think about like energy systems training, right? So like doing anaerobic work or aerobic work, um, and doing that for the or you're doing that thing for the intention on on uh, conditioning that metabolic system um but yeah i don't i don't really know 
I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. An important thing I want to pull out there is you said those two words, aerobic or anaerobic. And I think we have to know the difference between them when we're thinking about metabolic conditioning and the result we want to get for someone. Oh, yeah. Good point. I don't think people think about aerobic versus anaerobic. I think they just think about work. There's like I'm doing work and I'm sweating while doing that work. And we believe that you do need to think about the difference between the two and understand them because of, you know, just very different intentions, very different outcomes. Uh, you're not going to get the same results from doing aerobic versus anaerobic work when it comes to general health um, or performance or whatever you might be going after. So before you say, I want to do metabolic conditioning, you have to think about like, what is the metabolic effect I'm actually trying to look for from this and largely that's going to come down to again what that client's goals are and I think we could very broadly bucket it into two categories of like general health and longevity and trying to get fitter and be healthier uh, and then looking maybe at like more sports specific for something like CrossFit functional fitness because that word Metcon gets lumped on that crew so much definitely so general population clients training for longevity we want an aerobic dose from their metabolic conditioning yeah yeah and we've talked about this enough like i don't think we need to go down this rabbit hole maybe we'll drop like an energy systems uh podcast link in the show notes below guys so you can go back and watch that if you want to really go into the nitty-gritty between aerobic and anaerobic training but if we're talking about general population and metabolic conditioning we want to make sure that the work they're doing is aerobic and the easiest way to kind of describe what that means um, on a practical level is making it sustainable and making sure that the work that they're doing inside of their Metcon is at a sustainable rate, something that they can repeat and not work that is unsustainable. And when it's unsustainable, that's when we start talking about anaerobic training, which would be more you know, appropriate for a performance or a sport population. Yep. And I think it's just for people to understand because I, I remember – I think we we did something on like EST and I remember seeing like a I remember seeing commentary around like uh, someone saying one minute can't be aerobic like what do you like it needs to be extended out here it's like that's why we talk about sustainability because aerobic versus anaerobic is not time dependent there's some time considerations that go into each one of those things but they're not time dependent they're effort dependent and they're dependent on if you're able to sustain that work over X amount of time when you're thinking about how long you're working versus how long you're resting. So, you know, aerobic work can be 20 seconds or aerobic work can be 16 hours, right? It doesn't really matter. It's what you said. Are you making that 20 seconds sustainable across 75 sets or are you making that six hours sustainable across the entire six hours? So that's how we determine aerobic or sustainability. So general principle of sustainability has been laid out, guys. And for the sake of this conversation, let's say that we're talking about sustainable metabolic conditioning, doing work with the intention of, you know, training that aerobic energy system. We're not going to really go down that unsustainable athlete route for today. Uh, I think a lot of people approach metabolic conditioning like it's something that is, again, the intention of like getting a hard dose from meant to make clients sweaty they want to you know just work hard and feel like they're doing a lot of work often when that happens you end up going down that unsustainable route and you don't end up getting the you know health effects that you're looking for from that metabolic work so let's talk about like why is 
doing random metabolic conditioning not the best approach to it? Like what what's the problem with randomness? Um, gosh, I don't I don't know if you're you're taking a chance, right? Like there's some there's some random programs that work for a really long time because people like self-regulate what they're doing in their random work, if that makes sense. Um, They're not spilling over. They're not making the work unsustainable. They have some kind of idea of progression, whether that's I do the same thing every single Monday and maybe I just go a little bit harder week after week or I add a little bit more time or I take away time and I increase whatever that is, right? So um, I wouldn't say that if, if someone knows what they're doing, random can actually work because when they randomly go into the gym on Tuesday, they do what their body tells them to do. Like, but there has to be like a robust, a robust level of experience to be able to like randomly go in and get results over a longer period of time. Um, but when you say random, I think you mean just like, uh, you know, we're just slapping this thing on the board and we're just kind of getting after it and we have no ideas of what the intention is behind it. And maybe some days we go a little bit too easy. Maybe some days we go way too hard. Um, but the, the problem that I would look at um, overall with random training like that is that there's no, <laughs> there's nothing in mind. You're not doing, like, why are you doing it? Um, and the former point of like going a little bit too easy, someone can randomly go in and go into the gym, do really easy work every single day, and that can be sustainable for the rest of their lives. It's when we talk about people that go a little bit too hard or people that do things that they shouldn't be doing, that's unsustainable. And by unsustainable, I mean they're not going to be able to do it for any amount of time. So that's when you see people you know, get after it for eight weeks and then they don't train for the rest of the year. And they're like, okay, you know, next year is going to be my year. And they do it again for six weeks and then they don't train for the rest of the year. So um, that's, that, that would be the, the issue with random, if that makes sense. Yeah. I want to dig in a little bit to that piece that you said about people doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, people doing things in metabolic conditioning that they haven't built up the base to be able to do and to express and do safely and do sustainably for a lifetime. Um, because like you said, someone can show up to the gym, do something random, do it at a sustainable rate and do that for a lifetime and have great health and great longevity. Mm-hmm. Like they can do that but they have to be doing stuff that is within their capabilities. And if they're extending beyond those capabilities and not aware of what their capabilities actually are, then they're, you know, things are going to get a little bit messy. And so I think people have a greater appreciation for strength training and thinking about like with strength training, we have to start with the basics and then we progress things over time. Like I think there's just more general understanding and appreciation of long-term progression of strength or resistance for people. Not everyone's doing it right, but I think most people understand the concept of like someone should probably be able to do an air squat before they do a goblet squat, Mm -hmm. before they do a back squat, you know, like that just makes sense to most people's brains. I don't think that metabolic conditioning, whatever we want to call it, (laughs) gets the same level of appreciation Um, and, you know really so often I've done it before people show up day one and you just give them like a random metcon of a bunch of different movements and expect them to be able to do it back to back because you know they're just doing work and they're breathing and so long as they're moving it's fine right Mm -hmm. uh but don't really think about you know what actually needs to happen before that and what is the base of support in metabolic conditioning that we need to build up before we get someone into doing mixed modal work um, whew, that was a lot. Is, is that a question? I don't know if it was a question <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah, just, just kind of coming off that, I think uh, something that comes to mind immediately is p- 
people just have to earn their work, right? And it's really clear and there's a clear, a more clear roadmap and resistance training, like you said, right? Like the air squat to maybe you do a goblet squat to maybe you load it up a little bit heavier. But in Metcons, people just want to do a bunch of shit, right? So they're not really looking at earning their work inside of that, that piece that needs to be sustainable, like what we're laying out today. So I think a lot of people just don't have enough patience, right? Because we could, we could be a little bit less patient in resistance training because we know what's coming next week, right? We know that we're, that volume intensity curve is going to go like this, you know, and, and we, we can just understand what linear periodization looks like in resistance in aerobic work. It's the same idea, but it happens a lot slower, right? Like we have to be really, really patient in aerobic work. Just think about, cause I know that, I know that you think about what you're doing when you do aerobic training. So think about doing cyclical aerobic training and you're doing an eight week cycle. How much does it re and you're very targeted, right? Like you're, you're like, I'm on this implement for eight weeks. How much does it really change from week one to week two to week three? Not, Not that much. much. <laughs> Not that much. Right. So that's really difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. Right. Um, it's difficult for people to wrap their heads around. Okay. I'm going to do a 20 minute row week one. And then week two, I'm going to do the same 20 minute row, but my goal based on how I'm feeling that day is to increase my pace by 0.5 seconds per 500 meters. Someone gets on the road. They're like, this is the same shit. Why am I doing the same shit? It's like, cause you got to, right? You got to. And what you should actually be doing is doing 20 minute, a 20 minute row at two minutes. And you should be doing that for eight weeks, right? Like that's the progression. You're just doing it. You're doing more aerobic work on that Monday over eight weeks. And you're like nailing that two minute pace. But a lot of people that are so connected to resistance progression, they're like, I got to change it every week. So I got to go two minutes to 158 to 156 to 152. And they, the persons on the row are like, I can't deal with this shit. Right. And as a coach, it's like, it's okay. We all do it. Like we all over prescribe at some point, but that's when we need to really understand if we over prescribe. Right. Like that's why we have to look at what the client does. It's like, ask a question like, Ooh, was this sustainable? Did you spill over? Could you progress on this next week? Um, and that's when it gets really tricky with aerobic training because with ourselves and with clients that we coach, we, we want to see progression, right? We want to see progression, but we have to be okay with progression, progression in aerobic training, taking much longer than progression takes in resistance training. So it's just patience. It's so funny that you said that because this morning, literally this morning, I've sat down to write the rest of my program for the week and I'm doing some map four uh, intervals right now on the C2 bike, the bike erg, and then the assault bike. And I'm at the volume I want to be at. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to do any more intervals that yeah. I'm currently doing. My work to rest, I'm not playing with my rest or anything like that. And I was like, what? what's going to be different this week? nothing just do it yeah just, <laughs> just do gonna it just going to do it <laughs> and it's going to feel like hopefully a little bit better and a little bit more dialed in than last week and i'm fine with that on a yeah. personal level but sometimes it can feel uncomfortable as yeah. a coach giving that to your clients you're like what are they going to think like <laughs> that i just yeah, copied yeah. and pasted the workout yeah yeah but no that just tell them what you, you're doing yeah, yeah you just tell them what communicate you're doing. the intention yeah it's funny cuz i did 15 minute pieces i'm doing like 15 minute pieces on the the biker right now and last week i did uh I held a 158.0 and this week I held a 157.8 <laughs> and I'm like, 
gosh, that was just so much. But it's all about like, what did you do on Monday? How was your week? All that's why aerobic training and aerobic progression is so, it's so tricky, right? Because there's a lot of other variables, right? Like we're not talking about 20 to 40 seconds and time under tension per set and resistance where you can kind of like fake it a little bit where it's like, yeah, I can increase five pounds and I can kind of just like load into my right hip a little bit more. It's like, you can't do that in aerobic training because that shit doesn't like, that's truth, right? It's like 15 minutes at like a fairly fast, sustainable pace. You're going to know two and a half minutes in if you can sustain that pace and you're going to, you're going to know if that was the right pace. Right. Um, so yeah, you just got to be really patient and be okay with there being more, uh, room for going a little bit faster, a little bit slower in aerobic training, because there's so many variables that we just have to take into account in progression. We're going to talk through our four C's framework of metabolic conditioning uh, in just a second, Carl, to kind of lay out, you know, what does long-term progression look like to getting someone from cyclical work to being able to do mixed work really effectively, if that's the path we want to take mm -hmm. someone down. So we will get into that, guys. I would just like to very briefly hit on general principles of progressing aerobic work. Like what are some of the main considerations that a coach would think about um, from a global perspective? Yeah, just think uh, easy, easier to more intense, um, slower to faster. Um, you know, if, and that's, if you're going down that continuum, you know, if you're, if you're training a marathoner, you're actually, you might think you might be thinking about it the other way, right? Where it's like, you know, I want to go from less volume to more volume, right? So you might be thinking a little bit faster to a little bit slower. Um, so yeah, I think generally though, we need to say, uh, slow to fast and aerobic training is a, is a really good idea to think about. And then we'll get to this, but exercise selection inside of aerobic work when you start getting fancy and adding in mixed work we're thinking simple to com more complex over time yeah for that person yeah so you know simple for some person could be a goblet squat and for another person a goblet squat could be extremely complex um yeah it depends yeah it depends <laughs> yeah it depends <laughs> So it all depends on some things <laughs> that we can't really explain that all effectively. Right. End so, of podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's end this right here. No, we're going into the four C's now. So laying them out, we got cyclical, circuit, chipper, and constant variance. And we're having this conversation today because, well, we wanted to have it, but we also just released a free uh, free course on uh, on the four C's. Who was the instructor for that? I don't know. Yeah, they crushed. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah, really great instructor. Looked super jacked in the videos yeah. too. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she looked a little more tan in those videos than she does in real life. It's the bronzer. Okay. <laughs> it's Georgia, if you guys didn't notice. <laughs> so, guys. Emma's in the background like... Yeah, she did look more tan, right? <laughs> I wonder, great lighting, Emma. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was that was good. I was like, all right. <laughs> we will drop a link for you guys to uh, be able to go download that course for free, so you can get a little little bit of education around this stuff under your belt. But let's have a casual conversation around it. So, okay. what's uh, what's uh, how are we gonna make sure it's casual? What would be it's the always casual? What would be the other thing? Uh, I feel like it would be uncasual. Formal. If, Formal. 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 Let's have a very formal. Very buttoned up. <laughs> you need to lose that accent if this is going to be casual because I can't, I can't relax. I'm like, oh my gosh. The Australian accent is as casual as it gets. That's true. Yeah, it's more casual than Emma's. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like very hard for me not to like drop an F-bomb and <laughs> just be myself. But hey, 
Okay, sorry. I always take our conversations a totally different way. We're right. just trying to get down to business here. Yeah, man. Let's get to the point. The All people right, want to learn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, number one, cyclical. We already kind of alluded to this, but uh, we're thinking about, you know, monostructural work would be another word for it. Riding the bike, rowing, going for a run, going for a walk. Yep. All that good stuff. Yep. Cyclical is the truth. Yeah, cyclical is the truth. Um, a lot of people don't want to know the truth. They don't. They don't do a lot of cyclical work. Mm -hmm. So cyclical, cyclical aerobic work is it's the gold standard in understanding how good you are at sustainability and just aerobic work. Um, and to take it a step further, long cyclical work is the absolute truth. So yeah, I would say that cyclical is is it's the baseline, but it's at the top, right? It's like it's it's the truth. It's it's what you should be really good at before you think about anything else. Um, so if you're not very good at cyclical aerobic work, stick there for now, right? Like don't even, don't even think about these other things. Just get really good at cyclical aerobic work and do a lot of it. Yeah, it uh, gets a rap for being boring, which I think mm -hmm. is kind of unfair. Yeah. I have really learned to love the quietness of cyclical work, the ability you have inside of it for reflection. And then you can kind of play games with yourself, you know, when you're doing cyclical work where you're not like constantly, you know, moving from thing to thing and mm -hmm. like brushing your transitions. You're sitting on that bike and you're, you know, finding different ways to like rationalize the work that you have ahead of you. <laughs> and I know that doesn't sound fun, but I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about how we started this conversation and I don't know if it's out there, but a study on the enjoyment of cyclical aerobic work and where you are on the neurotic scale. Mm. Because I would think that if you're really high on the neurotic scale, that you would not enjoy cyclical aerobic work. Because of that quiet Anxiety time. is really high. You're like, oh my God, 159, I can get back to 201. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like anxious people don't really enjoy quiet cyclical aerobic work. I think I'm a zero on the on the anxiety. Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> You're the chillest person I know. I'm high. But I love, yeah, I love, I love cyclical aerobic work just because it's like, you you said a lot of people find it boring, but on, on the other side, a lot of people find flow and they can get high mm -hmm. on cyclical aerobic work. And you hear it all the time with like, you know, the runner's high and stuff like that. Uh, but you can get that same high on, you know, the rower or the skier, maybe not the skier for some people, but on the rower or the C2 bike or the assault bike, right? Like you can really get that, that, um, that dopamine hit from just like being in just such a flow. And usually you see it in those longer cyclical aerobic pieces. And that's what, that's what I love about cyclical aerobic work is you kind of just get into a flow and it's almost like, uh, it's like, I don't know if you guys ever feel this, but like when you row, it's almost like you're dancing because you just, you get into a rhythm and you get into a flow. And once you get confident in that rhythm and flow and you feel good, you just want to do it forever. Um, maybe not forever, but you want to do it for a longer period of time. Um, yeah, I love cyclical aerobic work. It's yeah. good. It's the truth. It is it's indeed. where everyone should start. And it's where everyone learns to pace, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, this notion of pacing is something we'll come back to over and over again. Uh, one of the amazing things about aerobic work is it like teaches you to see the future. Mm -hmm. You learn, you know, in this moment here, I'm one minute into my 45 minutes or 12 minutes, whatever you have. 
And because you've spent so much time working on, you know, understanding and appreciating aerobic work and building, you know, your engine and everything like that, you learn to know, I feel like this right now, this is how I need to feel to be able to sustain this out. Mm -hmm. It gives you the ability to like superhuman see what you're going to feel 30 minutes from now. And I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also, I don't don't know if anyone else does this, but whenever I'm doing longer cyclical aerobic work, I think a lot about how I'm feeling. I think a lot about uh, what's burning, um, my respirations, how my skin feels temperature-wise, how much I'm sweating or not sweating. And I just think about why I'm feeling that way, right? So like, you know, if I'm on, on the assault bike and I feel like my arms are just like going to fall off, even though I'm going at like a rate that I can sustain for a long period of time, I think about why I feel that way. It's like, is it something I did this weekend? Is it uh, the amount of sleep I got last night? Am I just weak, right? <laughs> is this something I need to get stronger at? But, you know, on every cyclical aerobic implement, whenever I do an extended piece, I'm always thinking about how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way and strategizing to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if a, b- a bunch of people feel that way, but uh, every time I'm on a, an, an implement, that's that's what I think. And it's fun to me. It's like, okay, how is this going to inform what I do tomorrow or the next day or next cycle or whatever that is? Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I might be weird. Emma, yeah. do you feel that way? Emma's like, no, not really. No, she's giving <laughs> us the side eye right now. <laughs> she's like, you're a weirdo. <laughs> No, I find it like meditative, honestly. Like it's kind of like that, you know, you're going for a walk and you're feeling the wind on your fingertips thing. It's the sensations that I'm feeling on that bike erg um, that allow me to like just get in my body and like lose everything and like try and lose track of thought because I'm focused on like that one little thing that I'm feeling right then and there. Yeah, to lose the butterflies for a second when people feel absolutely terrible is when they feel like they cannot do what they're doing right? They can't hold the pace. Um, it's too tough. There's like something in their head where they're like, I did this fine last week. I'm going to try to maintain that. And they don't, they don't have that idea in their brain where it's like, it's okay to self and auto regulate. So they just like try to hang on and it is miserable, right? Like there's nothing worse than trying to do sustainable work that you can't make sustainable. So that might be the thing that you're doing. So it's like, maybe you shouldn't be doing the ski erg and trying to make that sustainable. Uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't be on the runner and trying to make that sustainable if you haven't like built a volume to do that thing. Uh, but that's like the, the dark side of cyclical aerobic work is when people feel like when people hate it because they're just like fucking hurts. And I feel like I can't sustain this pace that I'm supposed to sustain. Yeah, man, I've been there. I think I shared this a few weeks ago. I had like a full-on panic attack doing some uh, row intervals because I got to the point where I couldn't sustain anymore, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I had to. So communicate with your clients. Yeah, I think a a good principle for coaches to think about in cyclical aerobic work is, you know, we always talk about like that capabilities line. For cyclical aerobic work, I would always keep it like two notches below you where you would normally keep it, if that makes sense, because there's not a lot of benefits unless we're talking about performance and like increasing vo2 max which most people shouldn't really give that that they shouldn't put a bunch of uh let's not get into don't you shouldn't really give a shit about your vo2 max but um unless you're (laughs) trying to increase threshold it's like just stay here like just stay there forever right and obviously this line will move up and down based on you know how they're responding and adapting to that aerobic work but if you stay here, and I've learned this, I've learned this the hard way. If you stay here, 
clients will fall in love with cyclical aerobic work because it will feel like flow. It will feel good. It'll feel like, you know, they can do it and, and uh, perform it at the rate that you want them to perform it at. And it's something that you can kind of extend to the right with them. But if you're always flirting with threshold, it just sucks. Like no one likes to feel brutal. Well, maybe some people, but most people don't like to feel brutal after like these long cyclical aerobic pieces because there's a lot of time to think in those. And when it doesn't feel good and you know you have 15 minutes left, it's so easy to just want to shut it down. So give people less than uh, what, much less than what they're capable of in, in cyclical aerobic work. Good reminder there. So someone spent a whole bunch of time getting really great at cyclical work. The next step in the progression is circuit. If they want to go there. If they want to go yeah, there, they, they don't have to. There. They nope. could live in cyclical forever. Fuck, yeah, live there forever. Yeah, yeah, just lift some weights and do some cyclical work. Podcast over. But hey, we're coaches. We like we like talking <laughs> about this stuff. Um, we find it fun. We play with uh, circuit work in our own training. So it exists. we got to talk about it. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. So this is where we start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just down for whatever. <laughs> yeah. You're easy going call yeah, fuck today. it. Let's end it. <laughs> Not ended? Okay, that's cool. That's cool, man. I'm really excited to talk about this stuff. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Circuit. <laughs> you're taking movements, like multiple movements, and you're putting them in an environment back-to-back where, you know, let's say someone has a 10-minute AMRAP of 10 cal assault bike, 10 push-ups, and 10 air squats, mm-hmm. and they're just doing those three activities back-to-back-to-back. It could be cyclical and gymnastics. We could add some weightlifting in there as well, depending on the client. But this is our next step in uh, in the progression. Yeah, so I think this is what most people would think is a Metcon. Like when people think of Metcon, they think of like circuit pieces, chipper pieces, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, yeah, this is this is what I thought. This is what I think CrossFit brought to the game, right? And why so many people fell in love with CrossFit because they they started doing these types of uh, aerobic pieces, these circuit aerobic pieces, and they were like it's fucking fun, right? It's just fun, right? They're like, not bo- I don't feel like I'm going in the Stairmaster and just like doing that for 60 minutes. I'm not like walking on a treadmill. It's like, I'm doing this thing that is really engaging and I'm seeing results, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's why, that's a, 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 a big reason, not the only reason, why a lot of people fell in love with CrossFit. Um, so yeah, circuits are fun, right? They're really fun. Um, exercise selection really, really, really matters and what should be inside of these pieces and intentions on why someone is doing this, these pieces also really, really matters. What intentions could there be? And like, <laughs> I know that's like a big, big, no, no, well, but what, question, what are the intentions yeah. behind doing it that you'd say are good intentions? Um, gosh, I wouldn't say there's any like surface level bad intentions, but, um, the intention just should be should just be clear, right? I mean, let's say you have let's say you're working with a client and they're like, I really enjoy these circuit type pieces. And they're like, I wanna lose body weight, right? It's like you can use circuit pieces to make someone sweat and move and flow and feel really good and burn some calories, right? Um, what if someone said, Hey, I wanna get really good at these circuit pieces? Now it's like that starts to get really interesting to a lot of coaches because now they start thinking about progression and what does this look like? What do we put inside of it? How does this week differ from next week? So on and so forth. Um, What if someone said, uh, I just want to do it because I feel really good 
when I breathe and sweat, right? Like they're not attached to like performance. They're not attached to losing body weight. They just really enjoy doing it. It's like, that's another reason why. But the thing is, is what's inside of them exercise selection wise is going to be the same no matter what the hell their goal is. The way that you progress it is going to be different, but it's going to be the same because it's going to be based on what can they do inside of these pieces to keep them sustainable. So that's, I think that's the most important thing. It's like, no matter what your goal is, what you're doing inside is going to be the same for every person because it's going to be what they're capable of doing and making sustainable across multiple sets. Yeah, I know for you know clients that I have that do mixed meta mixed you know modal circuit style training for each of those clients i've got you know a running list of the kinds of activities that can go inside of their pieces uh because like you said can't give every single person the same exercises that goblet squat you mentioned earlier that could be a really simple exercise could be an incredibly complex one and Mm -hmm. not fit well inside of a circuit for a person so you just kind of know your clients and what they can and can't do in an aerobic setting Yep. Yeah. I think when we look at, when we look at, uh, like, let's say we're sitting back and we're just looking out of the gym here and there was like four people doing circuits out there, what we would want to see in all four of those people, no matter what they're doing inside of their circuit is like this, that like higher turnover, a flow, this to this, to this, to this, not like this for three minutes and then this for 15 seconds and then this for two you know what i mean like you want to design that thing and that's where the designing of circuits becomes really fun because you're like okay based on like you're saying based on my client my running list of what they can perform how can i plug this list into this piece to to give it that you know higher turnover sustainability um and just like beauty of like you know equal equal work on each one of these pieces ish like equal ish work on each one of these pieces um how can i design that for this person versus this person versus this person that's where like individual design and and uh prescribing this work to you know different types of people gets uh gets really fun it's incredibly enjoyable yeah uh yeah like i feel like this is the art of coaching this Mm -hmm. part right here uh getting the opportunity to do that is it's really really awesome yeah but dark side of this thing um, is when you have a client that their list isn't that robust, right? It's like they can do cyclical plus a very small portion of gymnastics or body weight activity. I think coaches fall into a rut of like, I don't want to give them the same ish things week over week over week. And I have to get creative. And um, I just want to throw like a weightlifting thing in there. I think they can maybe do it, but I want to throw it in there for them, right? Because I want it to be fun and I, I don't want it to seem like we're just doing like boring circuit work. Um, that's an issue that I think a lot of coaches deal with is I understand the principles and I understand what people can and cannot do inside of these pieces. But there's that like little, little devil on my shoulder saying, put something else in so we can make it fun. You just got to resist that thing and just give, give people what they can do and uh just have a conversation and tell them why they're doing what they're doing definitely and also they think about how do i progress this thing on a week over week basis and with all aerobic work uh progression sometimes is most times it's good enough just to be doing it that's it right because we go back to like metabolic adaptation um you know we'll, we'll call it metabolic conditioning metabolic conditioning should all be focused on how do we how do we how do we 
allow this person to adapt to the work that we're giving them week over week over week. And I remember seeing, I remember seeing mixed pieces where coaches would just get like, they would get too cute. Like it was like, okay, this week we're doing a 10 minute AMRAP. We're going to do 60 double unders. We're going to do 15 wall balls and we're going to do 15 calorie row. Next week, we're going to do 65 double unders. We're going to do 18 wall balls and we're going to do an 18 calorie row. It's like, you're progressing this like it's resistance training. Don't do that, right? Like there's no difference between the 15 and the 18 other than they're spending five more seconds on the thing, right? So don't, we shouldn't think of progressing circuits like that, like, like we progress resistance training. Just dose them with things that they can do inside of it and have a plan uh, based on like what, what are the characteristics that are going to go inside of that circuit work and give it to them over a period of time. And if the goal is to get better at like let's say you have like this uh fme this specific fme that you want them to get better at and it includes wall balls and rowing what else did i say and double Double unders uh make sure that you're you're dosing those movements or movements that will increase the capability to do those movements across that entire cycle before you retest that fme that was a lot sorry no it was good it was good i mean rule of thumb like if you're just looking at your client and trying to figure out is what I'm giving them inside of their circuit appropriate. Like you said before, look at them on the floor. Are they moving like this in a nice, at a nice steady pace, not breaking between movements, not like getting bogged down in one area or having to do big fractions and take long rests. You just want to see them flow between movements. Uh, and then look at intraset repeatability mm-hmm. for that 12 minute AMRAP, have them have their lap timer out on their, you know, watch or their phone and every time they finish a circuit hit that lap button and take a look at the end have them send you that and make sure that every set inside of that is two minutes or whatever it needs to be mm-hmm. and that should give you some good insight yep. next step is chipper that may get a little more, bit more complex i mean yeah. we could live in cyclical and circuit forever we don't have to go to chipper but but people want to but we're excited so we're going to go to chipper today are you going to go to chipper and this yeah. it starts to get a little bit more complex here because in a chipper where we're doing a list of exercises. So let's say for example, you've got 50 wall balls, 40 box jumps, ooh, my legs, uh, 30 toe to bar, 20 power cleans and 10 bar muscle ups. Okay. I don't know, that, that's our list for today. Okay. It's a big long list of work for people to work through and uh, they're probably not going from start to finish at a steady pace completing that whole thing uh, in in one go that set of 50 wall balls for example they're gonna have to strategize uh, to be able to break them up uh, into small or sets and do it in a way that they're not affecting negatively what comes next so they're not totally gassing themselves with a wall ball and they have to take a 30 second break before they get to their wall balls and throughout those wall balls, before they do those box jumps, and then throughout the wall balls, we don't want to see them do like 35 reps and then not be able to complete the next 15 because they're so tired. They're going to have to, you know, break them into sets of 12 or whatever it is they decide is appropriate and have small little even breaks between uh, between the work. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exercise selection still matters a lot. Uh, muscle endurance should be... The limitation in chippers you sh- if if a client let's say you give a client this big long let's say that chipper the 50 down to 10 and they responded back to you and coach rx and they're like how should i approach this i would delete it and just go back to circuit because they're not ready right so there would have to be for clients to approach chippers effectively 
they have to know them. They have to understand themselves and their own muscle endurance limitations, right? So like when you put out those 50 wall balls and, you know, someone knows in their brain, like my max unbroken set of wall balls is 60. Maybe I shouldn't try to go unbroken on the 50 because now I'm going to have to like, you know, walk around the gym a couple times, take a couple sips of water before being able to even do a box jump. Um, we don't have the ability to like have that lap timer and we're like, boom, up, this is sustainable, right? Um, we can repeat the work and ensure that it's sustainable. That's one way to do it. But we should be able to do one chipper uh, with a client that's that, that can effectively do it. We should be able to do one chipper or one piece of work and trust that the client will just self-regulate how to break up all those reps and finish at a higher effort than they started, if that makes sense. So you're not like just like hitting singles on the bar muscle up to finish that that uh, that chipper. There should be some idea of how they should attack each piece of work, right? So when you, yeah, when you say that immediately, and this is just how my brain works, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go like, you know, 30, 20 on the, the wall balls, the box jumps. I'm just going to go steady pace, boom, step down, boom, step down on the, what was the 30? The 30 was a total bar. Yeah, total bar, I'm going to go 10, 10, 10 um because i want to i'm probably thinking about the bar muscle up and how that's so similar to the toe bar what was the 20 power clean the the power clean depending on the weight um i'm probably just going to go singles really fast singles and then on the bar muscle up i'm probably just going to go straight through or go like five five right so it's like people should start thinking about that when they see chippers but if they're like i have no idea let me ask my coach how to approach this just take the chipper like don't do chippers with them yeah you said it before as well, exercise selection matters. Uh, I just ran through like a fairly advanced list of exercises right there. That's where my brain went with chipper. Mm-hmm. Uh, because honestly, when I've seen chippers in, inside of CrossFit, especially in testing, that's what they look like. Yeah, shit, right? has, shit has to look sexy, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want to see 100 fucking air squats. But it could be. Yeah, it could that, be. That chipper could start with a 100-cal assault bike. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, definitely uh, could be, you know, getting, getting the same result from that work, but having less complex uh, exercise selection inside of there. Yeah, I think I think we, well, I'll speak for myself, my brain goes to a little bit more advanced exercise selection in chippers just because when I think of who's doing chippers, I think of a little bit more advanced of a person. Yeah. Um, just because, and work is work, right? I think it's cool for people to experience all kinds of work, but I don't know, I'm, I'm not giving like these big robust chippers with, um, you know, super simple exercises to like everyone and saying like, okay, get after it because those people are probably people that couldn't approach it like uh, uh, in a way where they can start to self-organize how they're going to break that work up. So I, I would fall guilty of that as well as when I think of chipper, I think of more complex exercises. Yeah. And I mean, reality as <clears throat> well is like from a program design efficiency perspective as a coach and then for the less advanced client who's looking at their program and who doesn't have the ability to know, this is gonna take me 17 minutes because I know I'm gonna take this much time on this thing and this much time on this thing. Circuits are really nice because of the constraint of time. Mm-hmm. Like you know how much that 50, how much time that 15 minute AMRAP or those five minute intervals are gonna take your client to complete. And they know too. But there's nothing better than being in like a map five piece and you're like, I'm going to do four time pieces with this client and I want it to be around three minutes and you just, and they, they give you results on Monday or you look at the results and it's like 258, 259, 301. And you're like, 
you just want to be like, yeah, that was, but they wouldn't get it, right? So you just kind of pat yourself on the yeah. back and pieces. Like, <laughs> Definitely, I've done that before. <laughs> or you know, the map six work ended up being seven minutes long instead of five. Yeah, you're just like, oh yeah, too. that was yeah, that was the point. Yeah, we're trying to do that. <laughs> and that's why you learn and adjust your program every single week, guys. <laughs> yep. So after chipper comes constant variance, and this is where stuff gets real sexy and fancy. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, constant variance would be, again, similar like chipper style list of activities. Let's call it 15 wall balls, 15 kettlebell swings, 15 burpees, 15 power snatches. Hang power snatches. Hang power snatches. 60. 60 double unders. Is yeah. that everything? That's everything. Our, uh, wall, did you say wall balls? I said wall balls okay, originally. Yeah, in our CV tester. Did I yeah. say box jumps too? Uh, no, that's what you missed. Box jumps yeah, box are in jumps. there also. Anyway, guys, you've got a list of activities. You're doing that list four times, so chipper style, and you're going to do it for a certain number of rounds. But every time you do it, the order of the activity or the order of the uh, exercises inside is going to flip. Mm-hmm. So instead of starting on wall balls, next round you're going to start on hang power snatches and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and man, that like variance inside of there adds a whole other element where people have to learn to pace and know what other activities are going to feel like um, done in different orders. Muscle endurance becomes, you know, different as you see, you know, a hang power snatch into a kettlebell swing versus a hang power snatch into a burpee and you feel the differences there. Uh, Yeah. Just, just far more complex. Yeah. This is a, it's, it's like, it's like a, it's a cognitive piece as well. Cause there's a, there's a level of learning from the work that you just did five minutes ago and being able to replicate that pace and you know how it's going to feel when you go from A to B to C. So this gets rid of that, right? It's almost like a new piece every time and you're just like figuring it out as you go. So it is a, a truer test of sustainability because the work stays the same, the volume stays the same, but the order and how one thing leads into another changes. Um, the highest order version of this would actually be, and uh, we used to do this on site when we had a bunch of athletes, is we would do CV work, but they wouldn't know what they were doing. So it would be like, okay, we're doing this. And then you're resting five minutes, and then totally new list, and then you're gonna do this. And then you're gonna rest five minutes, totally new list, you're gonna do that. And we sometimes we kept the exercises the same and we would switch up the order. And other times we would do similar exercises volume would be the same similar exercises but we would uh the the exercises would be different so it was like they were just doing over like you know three sets let's say there were five exercises per set they're doing 15 different exercises throughout those three sets but like you know maybe they'd be going from like a dumbbell front squat to a wall ball or something like that so it would stay the same ish but we would just like change it and that was really fun to see how people would respond to those. But you have to know the athlete or the athlete in this situation really well to understand that that list that you talked about of like exercises that you know they can make sustainable. So there's not a huge variable of like doing a 30 pound wall ball versus dumbbell front squats. You're like, yeah, that's the same thing in terms of what they're capable of. So that was uh, that was always fun. When you say that right there, we talked about having that list of exercises for your client earlier on. It becomes obvious as you talk it through, like someone who doesn't have a big list of exercises that they can make sustainable that can go in their Metcon circuit, 
they're not going to be doing constant variants where, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's a a bunch of different activities that they need to be able to do, but they actually can only do three activities uh, effectively Mm -hmm. in in a circuit. We could just like CV aerobic work. Just CV. Yeah, it's just aerobic work. CV'd. 15 cal bike, 15 cal ski. Or we could do like, yeah, or we could do like single modality cyclical work. So it's like 500 meter row, rest two minutes. 1,000 meter assault bike, rest two minutes, 500 meter skier, rest two minutes. And then you're just like, that's set one. And then you're like varying up. I don't know. I'm creating shit, guys. Don't get too cute, guys. (laughs) (laughs) No, but constant variance uh, is right at the end of the progression. But just because we say progression doesn't mean that everyone needs to progress there. Mm Again, it's fun for us to talk about this stuff yeah. and to think about, you know, theoretically, what does it look like to progress someone to the highest level of mixed modal metabolic conditioning, mm-hmm. um, the ability to do, you know, different activities in an aerobic setting. But just like biggest takeaway from this chat is that not everyone needs to go there. Yeah. And gosh, sometimes it's beneficial to know the nuances of what's higher in the progression to understand why you wouldn't give that to, you know, any of your clients. <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's always fun to just chat through it. Definitely. So, four Cs. uh, We walked through cyclical, circuit, chipper, and constant variance. Anything to add on those guys? No. Or girls? I don't know. Yeah, those those, uh, women. (laughs) Yeah, they could be women too, right? They could be. Guys, girls. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll save that one for next week. We'll talk about the gender differences in uh, in, uh, (laughs) aerobic pieces. (laughs) I don't know. I'm delirious now. Yeah. Georgia smoked some, uh, smoked some something. This today. is not true. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't put that out there. <laughs> nothing, nothing bad going on here. But um, no. is smoking bad? Like no, smoking no, something bad? There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just okay. not. I'm not. Don't really partake. I don't. I'm embarrassing Georgia. I'll stop. You She's are. I'm going red. red. She's turning the color of her shirt. <laughs> So we walked through four C's moving on. Let's just like bring it back to what we talked about. And I had a note here um, down for myself about just why we have to lose our biases when it comes to, uh, to programming Metcons, because I think a lot of us as coaches go into programming this stuff with an idea of what we think metabolic conditioning should look like based on our experience, based on terms that are thrown out there. Um, We kind of talked a little bit about why you know that isn't the case already but uh, I think we just have to lose what we think is fun and enjoyable uh, when it comes to aerobic work and look at the client and think about what they need uh, and let that guide the prescription agreed and I will add just to, to end this that I'm so serious about my BLGs that every episode I finish my water and Georgia always has a full glass you know what, guys? You get to listen to Carl's like gross little slurping sounds. I'm <laughs> far more respectful. I don't want to make you guys <sighs> listen to this. I put my health and my longevity before your comfort, and you should do the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go skull some water. <laughs> well, guys, uh, thank you for listening in to uh, this episode of Backroom Talk. As always, please make sure you subscribe, leave us a review on audio, and uh, drop us a comment on YouTube. Thanks, guys.